just like that, the final hour is here. Glad you're with us as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with E-Hop here and Old Smoky Moonshine. Show's still flying by. That's good. Two yep. hours yep. in. Yep. Felt like two minutes. Michael McHenry will be with us in 20 minutes. He'll help it go even faster. Talk Major League Baseball and the headlines there from the first week. Chad, UConn, they win again their fifth national championship. And Stores Connecticut was, well, crazy. The chaos after the national title. You know, we we joke about Kentucky winning. You burn couches. With UConn, they're, you know, trying to break in glass doors and all kinds of stuff with a post, a light post last night. Craziness. That's what you like to see. You know, it's uh, some burn couches and some, you know, just break glass <laughs> when things know. like this happen. Um, I'm sure the authorities on the campus of the University of Connecticut did not love seeing all of this celebration, but... Uh, nonetheless, it was uh, quite the celebration that took place. Fifth national title for UConn. And um, I had to go do a little geography lesson yeah. on Stores, Connecticut. Because you hear Stores, Connecticut. Like, where? First off, Connecticut's a very small state, you know, for those that did not study geography growing up. It's in New England, by the way. Uh, it's like 20 minutes northeast of Hartford, Connecticut. So, okay. But where it is, it's a perfect triangulation between Providence and Boston – in one direction, and then south, you've got New York City, right? You go directly south of Stores, Connecticut, and you're in the Hamptons, basically on the outskirts of New York, New York City, right? So then it is in a weird nexus of different air because Tim Brando said Springfield, Massachusetts yep. has adopted UConn. I looked at it, I was like, oh, the state line for Massachusetts is just north of Stores, Connecticut, okay. and right on the state line is Springfield, Massachusetts, and then just southwest of Stores is Hartford, Connecticut. So it sits in this weird sort of spot that's right next to Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New York, in the middle of Connecticut or northeast part of Connecticut. Weird place to house what is now just an absolute juggernaut yeah. basketball school. Yeah, I mean, if you're just in the realm of where we are in college sports and the recruiting aspect of it, you're not picking that area, are you? I wouldn't think so. I did see a picture just now online of at the game last night together, Rip Hamilton, Ray Allen, Emeka Okafor, and I think Shabazz Napier Oh, yeah, was the other together and just said UConn royalty all sitting together posing right after the game went final with UConn's fifth national championship. That's awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. The, the, the latest on Aaron Rodgers, Alan Lazard, of course, is with the Jets now, and he's – going to clubs, and he's got the sign that says, hey, stop asking me about Rodgers. I don't blame him because I'm sure that gets old. Uh, but the latest on Aaron Rodgers, speculation is the deadline is Thursday, April 27th. That's the draft. And that's when everything will come to fruition. Uh, Mike Florio says the ultimate deadline that the Packers are intent on getting one or more 2023 draft picks from the Jets will be the moment the desired pick is on the clock. And... If not, then they'll just wait it out until the Jets fold. And they say, hey, well, we'll here's the pick for next year. Have at it. I also laughed that, yeah, it's the deadline. It's what they want. But it's not really a deadline. A deadline means it's actually dead. I, I still think this will happen. No, the, but like, if, It's going to happen before the draft. If you want a first-round pick this yeah, year, it's got to be there. I fully believe it will happen before the draft. But if for whatever reason the Jets aren't willing to meet the demand for this draft and it goes after the draft, I'm also still willing to bet that Aaron Rodgers is eventually traded before the season to the New York Jets. 
so uh, he also writes, Green Bay allegedly walked back on their demand for the Jets' number 13 overall selection as part of this package for number 12, Aaron Rodgers. And they're focusing on the second-round picks, 42 and 43, back-to-back picks in the second round for the Jets. And the Packers, I mean, if you're... So the, the discussion... In, in moving up in the NFL draft, it's first-round pick. We saw that with San Francisco for Trey Lance to move up to number three. Yep. I, if I'm Green Bay, I'm demanding a first-round pick for Aaron Rodgers. Baltimore would get two first-round picks if another team signs Lamar Jackson, former MVP. And you've got Rodgers, who has one destination and one only, and that's New York. I don't know why they walk back the trade demands so early in the draft process. Feels like they're not going to get that because they're already kind of saying, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be a first-round pick. But so like if, I, I would say that's probably not going to happen. It's crazy, though, because there's not like another team coming in either, right? And you want to get him off the payroll. So it's. I just hope it happens sooner rather than later. I still – everyone says, well, you know, neither side has leverage. And I'm thinking that the Packers, to me, still have the leverage. Because yeah. it has been publicly stated that he's got to go to the Jets, and everyone knows the Jets have to make this specific deal work right, for their hopes and dreams to be a reality. And the Packers, they know they're not going to be much right now, so it's on the Jets to make this happen and to meet them where they want with their demands. So I, I think it'll, it'll get wrapped up before the draft, hopefully. What do you think the market value would be for Mac Jones? Reports are that New England was shopping him. And they're also linked to Lamar Jackson. I don't know if they, you know, actually go down that path or not. But the trade rumors are crazy involving Mac Jones right now. And I find that odd considering Bill Belichick paired his number 15 overall pick from three years ago, two years ago, with a former defensive coordinator and a special teams coach running the offense. Everything was a mess. And I don't know how you don't invest in Mac Jones with Bill O'Brien, at least to see, okay, can we find this guy who we drafted that we, we now feel like can be the face of the franchise, the franchise quarterback, instead of, hey, we're not going to tell you who's calling plays, and hey, don't bring up, don't overly criticize Mac at practice. We don't want to do that. Even though he was telling coaches he wanted to be coached. Craziness last year. And I, I don't know why they're automatically shopping him given the fact of everything that went on to not make him successful. It's a lot on Mac Jones. But I also saw a quarterback as a rookie that did fine as the quarterback for the New England Patriots. I think that his circumstances have been terrible with, with the coaching in New England. Which is bizarre. And what's been around him. And we thought, oh, well, here comes the next Tom Brady when the guy went yeah. just weirdly marching up, you know, when he got drafted and from the back room. Went straight to New England at 15. And went straight there. And then, oh, okay, now they're going to have their guy for years to come. Uh, and from what I've seen from Mac Jones, he's not a starter in the NFL. I don't think there's any market for him. I think he is a part-time starter at best, really good backup in the NFL. So he's not been dealt a great hand in New England. I also have not seen anything from him that would make me remotely excited about landing Mac That's Jones fair. if I'm another NFL team. If you're NFL team of choice, 
came to you with the news that, guys, we've traded for Mac Jones. He's the new franchise quarterback. What would your reaction be? It would be to not do backflips if that were the case. So I, I don't see Mac Jones as some good NFL starter for anyone. I think he's a, a nice backup and could do some damage as a part-time starter at some point in his league. He's nothing more. We did see uh, and, and heard from Belichick at the owners' meetings a weird answer from him, very unlike Bill Belichick. They asked him, like, hey, what, what should fans look at as far as like optimism for next year? And he said, um, the last 25 years. But he never, he never references the past. It's always the upcoming season. I found that interesting, too. Sounds like a guy who's uh, starting to crack a little bit <laughs> mentally. Maybe it's uh, finally gotten to old Bill. And he decided, you know, maybe I should rest on what I've already accomplished because there's really no reason to get excited about the future. Yeah. Chad's uh, softball team won last night. We did. 5-0 and oh now. We got off to a great start. Uh, it was an inspired effort and um, walked around to the girls. We talked about it yesterday. If they won for the 5-0 and oh start, they were going to get free McDonald's. Not free. Coach was going to pay for it. And right when I arrived after the show, I yelled, who's ready for McDonald's? And everyone screamed back that they were, in fact, ready. And guess what? They played like it. It was a dominating performance. Matt Duchesne for the Preds lost part of his, his finger after a, an in-game incident. So, I mean, when it rains, it pours. And if you're losing part of your finger in a, a losing season for the playoffs, I'm saying, what misery must that be, especially when you're doing this in April? Well, the photo of him skating off the ice, acknowledging that you could see part of his finger was missing. I, I wouldn't describe it from the photo that I've seen as like, it's not like the Ronnie Lott, who, by the way, if you ever meet Ronnie Lott, do not ask him about his he finger. Hates it. I did that. I made the mistake of doing that at the Super Bowl one year, and I thought he was going to kill me when I asked him about his finger and how many times he gets asked about it. Which he was not happy about that question. But I mean, you which, can see it, like you know, it's right. not. He's walking. He doesn't have a glove on, so everyone can see the finger that he, you know, chopped off during a game so he could keep playing. And this so, but like when a, you ask him about it, he doesn't like it. This is like a chunk. Out of yeah, his it's not. When I when I hear missing a part of the finger, I think Ronnie Lott. Yes. And what I saw there, this is like, you could not, it just looks like the bloody tip of a finger when you see the photo of him skating off. Uh, you can see it at outkick.com, the photos of that and the video of it. It just looks like a bloody finger. Let me also say that hockey is an insane sport, and it's not because they fight and get away with it. It's because there is a projectile that's hard and rubber that becomes metallic when it's frozen that is hurled at 140 miles per hour mm. on these slap shots at people, and they're just taking shrapnel over the course of a game. I know. And you have something that can be hit that hard on a slap shot that will hit you through a glove. Like, think about this. Well, and, and the injuries the puck you play hit through. him through a glove yeah. and took off part of his finger. This is a crazy, crazy sport. And I've always thought about that. It's not because of the body checks or getting hit up against the glass as much as how hard that puck is hit and people are just in the in the way of it just taking it over the course of the game like Matt Duchesne who in taking it took off part of his finger well and then you had Crazy. The, and then you had the uh, the trainers who found the chunk of his finger in the glove still there do you freeze it <laughs> you know you see in the movies whenever a body part is missing they immediately put it on ice and you try to get it to the hospital? Like, so, is that something you put back on? 
I'm, or you just say, well, I, I guess in I'm, hockey you don't do that. I guess I, you know, not gonna have part of this finger anymore. Um, so, it, you know, a lot of the guys have, uh, you know, their front teeth knocked out, whatever. When do you think they choose to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go without the teeth today, versus not. I think it's just sort of a party trick. They take the teeth out to show people what it looks like without but the teeth and put them right back like in. They, in the locker room, you'll see them just toothless, <laughs> front toothless. They ate something sweet before, maybe it was bothering them, and they decided to take the teeth out. I don't know. That's a good question. It sucks to be uh, Mason Shaw, forward for the Wild. He's, he's now torn his ACL for the fourth time, and he's 23 years old. Uh, 24. Fourth ACL. That's when you know, you know what? Um, this just isn't going to go so well for a career. Is it 2-2? Two 4-0? and 3-1? Two? Oh? and one. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. Each knee. Like, is it, does he, is he evened out? He's torn it, got it replaced, torn it again, or is it the same ACL being torn over and over again? And, and we've certainly, you know the stories of, well, the, the second ACL in the knee popped again for a football player. I don't hear a lot of ACL injuries for hockey at all. Now, we, to, they also just say lower body injury in their designation for that. But, I mean, for a guy who has a reputation of having ACL injuries, he had his fourth one. I, I, I hope for the best for Mason Shaw. I hope he has a really long career. He's only 24 and keeps, to, keeps playing for a while. Yeah. But can you imagine the personnel meeting when you're thinking about signing someone and oh. you say, man, we like this Shaw kid a lot. It really brings a lot to the table. There are the four ACL tears that he has <laughs> that we do have to bring to your attention. But other than that, kid's scrappy. Hey. He brings to the he, to our locker room exactly what we want from an attitude standpoint. But we are slightly concerned about the four ACL tears. But the idea that he's playing in the NHL after three ACLs is remarkable. Well, I mean, what's four? Yeah. <laughs> that's what he's it's just another one. His agents, what do you, well. He's getting paid to rehab, basically. At two, we said, you know, well, that's bad. But then we got to three and said, okay, not a problem. And now what's four? Let's keep it going. <laughs> Can we get to five, six? Is it going to be like LeBron, like LeBron. counting titles? Yeah. Six, not seven? Not one, not two, How many ACLs can we tear in our career? Eight? Can we double it up? If he plays till 36, I mean, he's 24. If he plays till 36, is he going to have 12 ACL tears? How long can this go? How much money can he make rehabbing his knee? That's what he's done. I'm telling you, if, if, if the right agent represents him, he's going to get him multiple deals. Michael McHenry joins us when we return. We're going to discuss all things Major League Baseball, the first week in the books, and the headlines. Well, there's plenty of those rules. Great start for Judge and much more. McHenry are, by next. the way, are people really bothered by the game being shorter? I have to get into this I, with Michael McHenry. 20 minutes shorter. It's no. a 162-game season. There's no way you can be. That's all we heard people complain about. I think these are bots complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced that 90% but of the problems why does the bot with division in America is about bots on social media that convince people they're not real people. They convince people that people hate them or that they hate something. I don't think the people and, actually exist. But the bots don't complain are, about this, the length of a football game. I don't think real people are complaining about it. Like I just don't think anytime there's a change, there's some algorithm that convinces yeah. us that people don't like it, and I don't think they well, exist. We'll the, ask Michael about yeah, it. Yeah, Michael McHenry next, and I, I've got one theory on who may actually be complaining just for the sake of it. That's next on Hot Mike.
Time to talk some baseball. First week of the season. A lot to get to. Michael McHenry joins us. And first off, Fort, thank you for uh, joining us on short notice. We appreciate that. Yeah, man. Uh, and the studio's looking great. Your, your just overall reaction and thoughts on the first week of the season is what? Well, first off, thanks for having me. Honored to fill in for the great Kurt Schilling. That's right. And I mean, just play my bench role, right? <laughs> I'm loose. I'm ready. Let's roll. Um, the first week, I think it's been exciting. I think it's been very unpredictable. I mean, we've seen a lot of action. I know everybody wants to just go on and on about the rules, but at the end of the day, we're seeing good baseball. And that's what's exciting for fans because there's nobody on the planet that buys a ticket for 80 bucks and goes to Fenway. Pirates are in Fenway. That's why I bring that up. And they spend that money that they want the game to get over in two hours. You know, they hope the seventh inning comes in about three hours so they can get to the beer, they can get to the hot dog because you're going to wait in lines and you enjoy the experience. So I think it's been good. I do enjoy it watching on TV. It's really, really fast. It's completely changed my job because we have to do things at, at just an absolute, I guess, tempo that I didn't expect. So it's going to be interesting moving forward and see how that plays out. MLB analyst Michael McHenry with us on Hot Mike. Is there a rule that you initially did not like that after week one, you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm not so down on this after all. The shift man. I, I hated it when they did it because the reality of it is figured out. That's been around since the early 1900s, maybe even before. The only place I could find was, you know, they used to shift on Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, all these guys, and they figured it out. And, and I don't think you should be like, oh, you can't play there. You can't do that. There's a competitive advantage to having an idea of where to go, whether you're going left, going right. And one thing I hate about that rule still, even though I love how it's turned out, is they don't allow them to start in the grass. So they can't start in the grass and walk in. I don't know if you guys have been to a Little League park lately or a high school field, but literally the grass is worn out where second base and shortstop start and then they come in. It just allows you to create momentum in. So yeah, I hated that rule at first. I think you always should allow the game to correct itself. But the fact that it's a kind of enhancing the best athletes on the field, and I have two of the better athletes in all of baseball with the Pirates, you know, Neil Cruz and Key Brian Hayes, and seeing them be able to move freely and not be out of position has been a lot of fun. I'm watching these games, and one rule change that I'm mesmerized by, and I wonder if, if anyone else is like this, and you're working on television broadcasts, Michael, so you, maybe you're not paying as much attention, but that pitch clock, I can't look away from it. It's like watching the shot clock go down <laughs> yeah. in a basketball game, and it's so new to the game that every time – I'm like, oh, he got that one off with nine seconds left. Oh, this one was a three seconds. Oh, they started with 14 on the clock on this one. I, I feel like baseball fans are paying attention to that clock they see on their screen in the middle of the outs and the inning and everything else when watching a game. They have to find a universal time and keep it simpler. I mean, the fact that we're watching a clock countdown, like you're watching an NBA game and the shot clock, I mean, maybe they take it out of the umpire's hands. I, I think they should put a buzzer like hockey, you know, if the, if the clock violation comes, it just starts buzzing. Somebody actually does it from the booth instead of the umpire behind the plate having to call balls and strikes, decide when the hitter is actually looking at the umpire, which is hilarious because he's literally looking this way, as is the hitter, and he can't see. Oh, yeah, he's engaged. I mean, some of the stuff that they've come up with, they didn't think through, and obviously it was from guys that probably didn't get out on, on the field and test this out. They just relied on the minor league 
uh, data study that they had, not realizing the big leagues is a completely different level. Literally, there's an extra level. We talk about it when we get up there. It is absolutely insane watching a game at the big league level compared to the minor league level and say that, oh, yeah, it's going to be the exact same. All these numbers, all this data is absolutely proven. We've got it figured out and not being willing to budge even just a little bit. So the time's got to get a little bit more nuanced. They got to get a little bit flexible, especially early on. The fact that Devers, one of the best players, Rafael Devers, the third baseman for Boston Red Sox, he's hitting almost 500 on the year to start the year this early season, was the first guy to get rung up on a shot clock violation or whatever you want to call it is a joke because no one in that ballpark at Fenway paid for the umpire to take over a game. They paid to see Devers hit. And that's where I, I, I lose sight of it. I do like the speed. I do like the tempo. It's making guys move. And honestly, I think it helps a lot of guys, especially with their mindset, because they don't overthink the game. Right now, we are on pace to see 3,400 stolen bases. That would be the most since 1999. <laughs> and and based, based on like the, the, the throwover rule and uh, the pickoff rule, as a former catcher, I mean, are you just? Do you even attempt to throw down to second, given the fact that Altuve can go after two throwovers? He's, we know he's going. He's, to give him second base. Do you even? Do you even try to throw him out? I always say extremes are dangerous, and I think that's exactly what they did. We went from the extreme of not running, where throwing value completely disappeared as a catcher. It was all receiving, and then blocking became a great met- metric, and that's literally maybe the greatest metric now behind the plate. But now with the ability to kind of, it's unreal, the ability to cheat the way they're cheating. Like we haven't stolen a base besides one guy on the Pirates team. And I think we're first or second in the National League without taking a huge crow hop, which that's creating momentum towards the bag because they're anticipating because we are all creatures of habits. These guys on the mound, they're coming set and they're thinking about that clock. So it's come set, one, 1,000, go. Come set, one, 1,000, go. And you can almost tell when they're going to pick because they look in a little bit longer and they take a big set to come gather up and then throw. It happened a couple of times last night and boom, they were gone every single time. You're going to see more catcher errors. And the worst part is, and I'm sure Kurt Schilling being from a different generation would say this too. All the guys that earned it, they got to be pissed, right? Because there's going to be some records if this goes on for a decade. Guys are going to 60, 70, 80 bags and then that's going to make Anderson just a normal dude. Well, I watched him. He wasn't normal. He was a freak. So, Michael, when you look around, you know, we're very early into the season right now, obviously. We're four and five games into 162-game season. But as we look at some of these surprises early on, right, very early, but the Phillies 0-4, the Rays at 4-0 leading the AL East, the Reds leading the NL Central right now, is there any one of these things or stories that you look at and say, that's one to watch? That's one to keep an eye on that may have some legs a little bit deeper into the season than people are expecting? I think the Phillies is very interesting, but you, you have to look at the, the matchups and how they're doing everything with the scheduling this year. I mean, every single team is going to kind of get diversified in some sense because they're going to have to play Oakland, which maybe they've never played Oakland. They're going to play Houston. They're going to have to play Seattle. It's going to get so spread that, you know, teams are going to go on small runs. I mean, the White Sox, I thought, would start out a little bit better. They seem like they're a little bit cooler, but it's really one of those games that it can go ebb and flow. I'll never forget in 2007, 
I'm maybe 22 years old. I'm in Hawaii watching and playing in Hawaii in the winter league. Tough life. I'm sure you guys are going to say that to me, <laughs> but I'm playing over there and I'm watching Colorado rattle off 24 games to get to the world series. They ended up losing to Boston, but it was remarkable. And that's what you can do when a team comes together. I think when you look at baseball, other than maybe Otani, you could maybe argue a judge, but there's not one single player that can take over a game or a series consistently. I mean, they, they, they can, but not over 162. And at the end of the year, it's going to be one game here, one game there that separates them. And with the extra wild card and everything that goes into this, you're going to see a lot of competition throughout the year kind of shift. I mean, last night we, we played against Boston and we beat them and we were handing them runs early in that ball game, but we were able to, you know, get hot. Our best player had a couple of home runs and we came out on top and Boston's been really, really hot. They're swinging the bat really well. And we had really no way of knowing if we could have even pulled off the series, let alone last night. But that sets us up today to go in with one of our better guys on the mound to win. So baseball is a fun sport because you never know. The Fort Michael McHenry with us. How often would you see a teammate get into it with a fan? And and how did was it a regular deal where you thought, ah, these guys don't want to fight? Or was it, I'm, I may need to get involved here and pull, pull my guy back a bit before he loses his, you know, loses his cool? I, I saw it a lot, honestly. Um, and everything's gotten softer in society, so... Most of the time, it was just kind of brushed over. Yeah. And I know you guys are talking about Rendon, but like the thing is, what was the fan actually saying all game long wearing him out? The fan's not in trouble. This guy's going to get no pay for five games, which if you look at his contract, that's a lot of money. Obviously, with MLB and PA, they've done a great job. He can send that to a charity and it's a tax write-off, but it's not right. They, they should be able to protect themselves. He did nothing wrong. I, I think maybe he could have pulled back and not engaged. Maybe he grabbed him at... I couldn't really tell off Twitter. Yeah, just grab the, the shirt. It is, it's like, he, if he, you're coming after, yeah, if you're coming after someone's family, you're saying awful things. I mean, we've seen it with with basketball, different things. I mean, Kyrie Irving threw a fan out of the game the other day, an NBA yeah. game. Said, I don't like that guy. Get out of here. Maybe that's the way to go about it. Maybe not. But sometimes these people say some of the most horrid things you could ever imagine. Maybe they've been drinking. Maybe they're on drugs. Maybe they just have no soul. I don't know. But they paid their ticket. They can do what they want to do, but when they start coming so hard at, at your soul, at some point, someone's going to have a breaking point. And I don't know if Rodin, Rodin, Rodin's having a tough life. If the home life's not good, it could have just been one of those moments. I wish they would have given him a little bit of grace, made him pay a fine, apologize and move on. Don't take games away from it. That affects their team. It affects the outcome. And we don't know the whole story. So find out the whole story. Let him apologize. Well, you mentioned Kyrie Irving, you know, throwing a fan out of a game. We've seen LeBron James do this before. Other basketball players, when someone's being unruly, you know, they can go and say, I want them removed from the arena. Have you ever seen that happen with a baseball player? I feel like in baseball, heckling has been more of an accepted part of the game that I don't see a lot of right or left fielders pointing up into a section and telling one of the security guards to go get someone to send them home. Yeah, I think baseball just has, I mean, probably like football, it, it's probably horrid at times for guys, but the reality of it is it's so spread out and you can't really combat it. So if you go into New York, you just got to expect it. And I always had fun with it. I'll never forget the time I got just destroyed. They were going, oompa, loompa, <laughs> doopity, doo. 
every time I walked up. I mean, I'm not that little, but I wore my my pants up so the socks were showing, and I maybe looked like an Oompa Loompa. I don't remember the colors of the team at the time. I had a blast. I said, all right, Oompa Loompa this, and I hit two homers. So then they were like, we love the Oompa Loompa. We I mean, we became friends, and I'll never forget a mayor in West Virginia. They were his toast man. I was in the minor leagues. And if you struck out, he'd burn toast and throw it at you and say, you are toast. And I became friends with him too, because I had a huge series. You try to make light of it and have some fun because at the end of the day, they're there to enjoy it. And a lot of times it's just meaningless fun, but sometimes it goes over the line. Man, what would Anthony Rendon have done to the toast man? Had he thrown oh. burnt toast at him? Had that happened if he's grabbing a guy by the collar for talking to him? In the game. Up no telling. <laughs> yeah. He, so on, on the video, the, the quote uh, that I can't repeat here, but he went up and grabbed him by the shirt and said, you called me this. Yeah, you did. You, you, you did that. <clears throat> and you know, the 12 seconds ends up being five games. How do they come up with the suspensions, Michael? <clears throat> I mean, we've seen with Trevor Bauer, it's, it, it's kind of one-sided. Um, yeah. They, they get an arbiter and no matter what is done by legal counsel in an actual courtroom, it just matters to who Rob Manford, Rod Manford and his guys actually hire. Sorry, I was choking for a second. Um, it's who those guys hire to say, Hey, yeah, this is what he deserves. And it's so all over the place. I mean, you're talking about domestic abuse. You're talking about drinking and driving. You're talking about this, someone having an altercation with a fan just last year. I saw a guy climb into the stands, grab a guy. He didn't get a game. So, I mean, where, where's the give and take? Yeah. And I think the high profile guys always get the bigger punishment and guys that maybe have a little bit more of a voice like Rendon. He's, he's very outspoken about how he feels about certain things. I think they go after those guys. That's what they did with Trevor Bauer. I mean, you can't justify that he has the longest ever suspension of all time in MLB, and he's over in Japan. He's one of the best pitchers in you know, my, my generation, and I don't get to watch him because he's in Japan. Good for him, though. He wants to do the right thing and clear his name. Rendon's suspension was actually reduced by one game, so I'm not sure what they are. Wow, one game. Yeah, one wow. game. So it's a four-game suspension. <laughs> and that, that's it. They probably opened by saying, we want it to be a four-game suspension, so we'll say five. He'll argue, then we'll give him four, and that's what we wanted anyway. So then everyone's good. So uh, Except for Rendon. I, I don't even think they let you really argue. Uh, I'll, oh. I'll tell you a story that I haven't shared very often. I once failed a drug test because paperwork wasn't filed. And I literally had no option. They didn't give me any option. I made no mistake. I saw two doctors at a TUE and I've been on the same medication since I was a kid and I was going to lose the thing I love more than anything, the game, because I was going to have to walk away. I was going to get 80 games for taking a medication that I've been on since I was a kid. Someone stood up for me in the front office. I still don't know who it is. Gave me 12 hours to resubmit everything, get it done and move on. I got called up three days later or what, three weeks later, excuse me, with, with the team and that would have never happened and I would have been out of the game and in a lawsuit suing them for defamation. So the reality of it is it's very one-sided. I hope that changes and they start treating people like human beings. How, how do you get the paperwork wrong in that? I, honestly, I don't know. There's so many steps involved in yeah. certain things. You don't really know the whole process until something like that happens. But yeah, it's like you go see a doctor, they clear you, they have to be MLB certified. Then they send the paperwork off. It has to be cleared by the MLB certification doctor, whoever that is. And then that goes even further. And then they check it off, say, yes, you can do this. Yes, you can't do this. Um, I don't know the reason why you can or can't when a doctor that is certified, but when paperwork's actually not filed, it looked like I was taking something I shouldn't, even yeah. though it was the same medication I was taking my entire career. 
Final thing from the first week. Is there a team that we're not discussing that we should be, that we should not overlook? Never overlook the race. And I know you you talked about it, 4-0, and then you got to think about the Phillies since you brought both those teams up. Let's stay right there. The fact that they're going to get such enhanced sometime this year, bring in Harper, that's going to be like a midline or a mid-season trade. So the reality of it is they're going to jump forward at some point this year and just get better and better. And I'm, I'm pretty bullish on this. I think if the owner will get out of the way in Baltimore, that team, that team is really special. They've got a lot of young talent and I'll say the same thing about the pirates. It's a team that can really take a huge step forward. We have a superhuman on our team. And when you have guys that do elite things like we do and Baltimore does, you can never count them out. And then also the farm systems are so strong with absolute, just disgusting stuff coming out as starters and relievers. And some guys made some huge strides figuring out, you know, their swing, their approach. And I'm excited to watch what baseball has to show really just everyone, because there's some really good young talent coming through right now. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting watching these athletic kids just take over. Michael McHenry has been our guest, Major League Baseball analyst and uh, also a part of the Pirates broadcast. You can follow him on social, the Fort McHenry. Always great to have you on, man, and, and really appreciate the, the short notice visit today. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Sorry for the slow internet. No clue what's going on. but All good. It's always a pleasure. You guys are a blast. You're the man. Thanks, Michael. Michael McHenry. Blame Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> um, I was looking through a list of the ranking the farm systems in Major League Baseball. Yeah. You'll love this, Hutton. Uh, the one list I looked at, number one in the league, the Baltimore Orioles, dead last in baseball, the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> wow. In terms of farm systems right now. And for years, the Braves were known for, for that the farm system. farm system. Well, the thing about the Orioles that I've come to realize over the years as a fan is they'll just trade their assets. So your, your number one farm system, you know, they'll bring them up, and then a year from now, they'll trade them after they bring them up in September. Yeah, that's a way of just, you know, being cheap. That's yeah. what the that's what the Orioles do and, well. I mean that's I mean that's what a lot of these teams do though. That's unfortunate. Doing enough to make as much profit as possible while trying to skate by and not really going for it and trying to win. It's why I'll never crush Steve Cohen. I know because he may be destroying the game financially and no one can catch up. But at least he's going by the rules as they are, which there's not many in terms of what you pay, and he's trying to win. He's spending his money. Trying to win a World Series. He's treating it like it's his hobby. Yeah. And not the it's his passion. business. It's a passion project. Yeah, but I mean, as a fan, you have to love that. Yes. Um, it's what every I mean, fan of any team, they would want their owner to take that approach. And you have both, both New York teams willing to spend, too. Yeah, fans don't want to hear about budget. No. They want to hear about wins <laughs> and what you're doing to pay players to so, win. So... Are people really complaining about the, the pace of play and actually speeding up the game? I, 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 apparently, I don't think it's a thing. I, I mean, I guess if you're a season ticket holder that goes to all 81 games and your sole release in life is to go to a Major League Baseball game and stay from start to the end, then you are being robbed of those 20 minutes each night. But people watching on TV, no, there can't be a single person that watches the game on TV thinking, I want those three-hour, eight-minute games back, not these pesky two-hour, well, forty-one-minute games. So my theory, my theory on it, and it may be a bot, who knows, is you, you, there is a group of 
media members that are a part of this clique in Major League Baseball that don't want anything to change ever. There's no evolution of the game. It's all about the records and the numbers and all this mess. And then all of a sudden, everything has changed all at once. And that is a shock for them based on what's been the norm, which is long, plotting, you know, let's uh, step off the rubber and throw over fi uh, five times to, to let the bullpen get warm. Now we're actually speeding this up, and it's benefiting the fans, it's benefiting TV. And I think a lot of the voters who never use a vote for the Hall of Fame, they just, you know, turn their, <laughs> turn their ballot in and it's, yeah. it's blank. I think a lot of them are pointing to the, the rules, and Michael mentioned the stolen bases. That's another one that's going to be like. Contentious. It's going to be shattered, and it's going to be a. It's going to be an issue. But I mean, it, uh, on pace for twenty four hundred, the most since ninety nine. But in that era, we saw a ton of stolen bases. Yep. So the numbers itself, you can still point to a season when we saw more through the first week. Hunt, can I try to joke that I wanted to say to Michael, but I didn't Go know ahead. if he was going to get Umba mad Umba. and want to strangle me when yeah. I said it? Yeah. You tell me if you... You know him better than I do. Yeah. If he, you would have found this funny... He, he would not go Rendon on you. So he was saying how... And I totally believe Michael, by the way, but he was saying how he almost got an 80-game suspension because of a paperwork er, uh, error and that it was, a, it was a drug that he was prescribed since he was a child. Yeah. In the paperwork. And I wanted to jump in and say, oh, I didn't know you were prescribed anabolic steroids as a child. Yeah, but the, would that have been funny? The, it was good. But the cream Do you think he would have laughed is the question. Yes, I know. It was, I think it was funny. But I wonder if Michael would have taken offense if I said that. Oh, Juiced. I didn't know. What, what are they? What are they? They're prescribing anabolic steroids now to children? I didn't know that. Yeah. How'd you find out about the cream of the clear? Yeah. How'd you, how'd you pass this Was test? Barry Bonds your, your pediatrician? <laughs> cool. I didn't know that that, that happened. Coming up. What was it? Uh, remember Androstein back in the day? Oh, Wasn't that a yeah. thing? Yes. What was, that was McGuire stuff, right? One moment. Let me look this up. He said it was Androstein, I think. And that was legal at the time, but we all know it was probably roids. A natural steroid. Yeah. Or was Androstein the roid he was accused of and he said it was something else? A precursor of testosterone and other... Androgens. There's all these sports media people now that you don't know their identity and they hide their face or right, they, yeah. you don't know if they're real or a bot. We need to find a roid doctor. <laughs> like someone who has just been in the muck with the roid industry and can come on and we can blank out their face and change their voice and we ask all of our drug questions too about roids. We can have a full segment on Androstein. Maybe and I can try out my comedy routine <laughs> with Michael on the roid doctor and see if he finds it funny. Yeah. Who was the guy down in, uh, where, just off the coast? Well, there was a dude, um, the Tiger Woods doctor, with the blood spinning. Yeah, but A-Rod was with him too. Yes, but doctor, it was a famous, famous roid doctor. <laughs> so it was. But he specialized in blood spinning. Remember, he was like, no, 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 it's legal. It's, what I do is I, I don't give them roids. I inject a needle in them and extract blood. And then I spin the blood, and then that's what happens. Amazing. I'm just searching A-Rod Doctor. Bosch. That's his last name, right? Dr. Bosch. Anthony Bosch, founder <laughs> of the now-shuttered Florida Anti-Aging Clinic. Get ready for this one, Hutton. Biogenesis. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember the Biogenesis scandal. The Pedro Gomez file. And it was Tiger that also was a, a patient of Dr. Anthony Bosch. We need the underground, even oh. more underground equivalent of Dr. Bosch to join our show. 
<laughs> and give us Royd advice. <laughs> I'm sure he would join us. Coming up, uh, Chad's got advice whenever you come in contact with a, a large canine. Yeah, don't be me. That's my advice when coming in contact uh, with dogs. His life was in danger, and he nearly if had to If you're not me, fight. you're okay. If you're me, you're not okay. Details next on Hot Mike. Be sure to go to outkick.com. You can find the Kurt Schilling baseball show there every Tuesday and Friday. New episodes. That means today. Check out the Kurt Schilling baseball show, outkick.com. Chad, you were uh, on the phone with me, actually, when this story took place. You found a stone. Why? The sword and the stone. Why did you need the stone? So I was walking on the nature trail in my neighborhood on the phone with you, Hutton. Had the phone up to my ear. I did not do the AirPod thing where I was you know, talking to you yeah. through that. Phone on the ear. And I had no clue about this. Yeah, and you were telling me something, and you probably noted it's really silent on the other end for a little bit. So I'm walking, and I get to the end of the nature part of the trail going back into the neighborhood, and I look up, and there is a pit bull in front of me. No leash on, no collar. Nothing. I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's odd. Mm-hmm. And I start to just walk towards it, and it's not moving off the path. And then I see it's kind of in an aggressive stance, right? The dog's kind of getting down, not in a full growl. But I don't make any sudden movements. I just turn around and start walking the other way, right? Right. I can hear someone in the neighborhood over behind me that I think is yelling for the animal to come back, that it's gotten away from someone. So every time I start to walk away, when I look back, I notice it's coming closer to me. So it's starting to... Stalking you. And when I look at it, it stops. And then I start walking again, and I look back, and it has stopped again. It's getting a little bit closer. So I'm thinking, this thing is going to fully attack me at some point. So I go over by this drainage ditch area, and I grab a huge rock. And I'm thinking, it's going to be him or me, this dog or me, and it ain't going to be me. If this thing jumps at me, I'm going to smack it as like, hard as possible. It's like Leo and the bear. And with the, it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it could have been a similar outcome if I didn't have the rock. So I, I have the rock, and I'm thinking, I'm going to smash this thing if it jumps and tries to bite me. It eventually, the, I think the owner said something. They ran off in a yard, and I you know, threw the rock down. Nothing happened. No dog was harmed in, the, in this story. And I walk home. But it got me thinking. I got attacked by my sister's dog seven, eight years ago. I was going to her house to get something for her. Thought the dog knew me. They thought, too. Yeah. Went in there, and this Rottweiler came and snapped at me when I put my hand out, you know, trying to be friendly to it, and got my finger. And I thought I was going to be you know, Matt Duchesne and had part of my finger removed. And I had to run and jump a fence, and the dog was biting me the entire time and attacking me. Since then, I've been uneasy around certain dogs. Can dogs smell fear? Yes. Because every dog and I they, encounter now is weird around I, me and no one else. I, I, yes, they can. It's and, like they know I'm a wounded and they, animal and they treat me as such. It's more than fear, though. They, can, they sense and know emotions. They know when someone's sad. 
Well, I'm not sad. I'm anxious yeah, around the dog. They can I feel like, smell fear. but they respond to the anxiety by giving me more anxiety <laughs> by barking at me and growling around me. Chad has a stone in his bag right now. So here. what we're saying is, dogs are actually not man's best friend. Catch you tomorrow, three o'clock Eastern, for Hot Mike. <laughs>